This is Agri-Futures On Air, brought to you by Agri-Futures Australia, driving innovation in Australian agriculture. Hands up if you want this job. Trudging up and down a paddock all day with a 20 kilogram knapsack strapped to your back, spraying or even hand pulling weeds in the Queensland summer heat. Not on everyone's employment bucket list, I'm sure. But it's that sort of effort that's currently needed to control weeds that compete with ginger plants for water, space and nutrient. Hello, I'm Chris Brown. The cost and the physical toll on the hard-working people doing that job have driven the Australian ginger industry to look for alternative weed control methods delivered by robotics. And in a moment we'll hear from a dedicated young scientist, Guy Coleman is his name, who's begun work on Ginny the Ginger Robot with a license to kill. But first, Templeton Ginger is Australia's largest ginger producer and Shane and Kylie Templeton are the third generation on the family farm near Budrum on the Sunshine Coast. Kylie is a member of the AgriFutures Australia Ginger Advisory Panel. Those advisory panels decide on research priorities and make investment decisions each year. In her business, Kylie concentrates on sales, distribution and marketing. But she can also be found with her brother Shane, out in the paddock with the pickers and in the packing shed. So she knows weeds and the problem they can cause their business. Yeah, well, I suppose while we're waiting for the ginger to grow its stalks, which shades the product and also stops the weeds from growing. So between our planting time until that time that the stalks are doing its job that it should be doing, we have to employ a lot of people to walk up and down our rows to spray the weeds. And look, if we don't keep control of the weeds, it affects our yield on the ginger that we're growing as well as the quality of the ginger. I mean, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. So yeah, to control our weeds, it will help the quality and the yieldage of the ginger and the production costs involved with spraying those weeds is very costly. What sort of length of time is that when you have to really control those weeds manually, I suppose? So we start around October going to February. So we've got about four months that we've got to control the weeds. After February, the stalks have grown enough. So between those uh, four months, you know, it's in the hot summer months, like we're having a hot summer day today. It's 40 degrees out there. We're asking people to walk up and down the rows of the ginger to spray all of our weeds. Wow. And I hear that even hand pulling is on the agenda at some times. Yeah. We've just got to rely on the sprayers spraying the weeds correctly. Sometimes while they're walking through, they might miss some weeds. And by the time they've come back to that section of the paddock, the the weed has grown a lot more. So you can't spray the chemical on that weed. So they've got to get a knife and dig underneath the weed and pull the weed out so we don't actually spray and kill the ginger plant. That must be an incredible cost, all that manual labour. It's just extraordinary. I mean, we're talking four months of at least 20 people that we're paying them full-time to maintain our weed control. That's incredible. So uh, have you got any idea of the cost per hectare? 
Ah, oh, look, we've sort of been working out it would be between $3,000 to $5,000 per hectare that we could save if we had this robotic system in place. You mentioned the impact on yield. Why is that? Why do weeds have such an impact? Is, are they sort of robbing the plant of water? Is that it? Yeah, it would be robbing uh, the water, the nutrient content, and also the space that the ginger has to grow in. So with ginger, we have it when we're planting, we're spacing the plants out to a certain amount. So it gives the ginger rhizome a certain area to grow in. So if a weed grows, starts growing near the ginger, it's taking up its space. So it will affect the way that that piece of ginger, which is the rhizome, how it grows in that soil, in the bed of soil. So I suppose you're really excited then about this robotic work. What are you actually hoping to see out of it? Yeah, we're really excited about it. So for starters, the reduction of costs will be fantastic. One of the other main things is people are very cautious with working with chemicals, which is very understandable, but we all do it in a very safe way. So, you know, to take that part of that work away from our workers so they can feel that they can work more safely in the environment will be an absolute bonus. So yeah, it's the costs associated with it and the safety of our people and the labour content of what's involved with maintaining those weeds. It's getting harder for us to find people that will do that type of work these days. Yeah, I can imagine. No, it's brilliant work. And we're going to talk to Guy Coleman right now and find out all about where he's up to with it. That was Kylie Templeton, a member of the AgriFutures Australia Ginger Advisory Panel, explaining why the industry is looking to technology to solve a big problem in the ginger industry. And what you are hearing now is Ginny, the ginger robot with a license to kill. Guy Coleman is a precision weed control scientist at the University of Sydney and he has a real passion for finding alternative ways to control weeds. Guy's work with ginger is funded by the AgriFutures Ginger Program. His goal is to develop a robot that can identify and destroy weeds growing in a ginger crop. Sounds simple, right? Well, it is on TV. But I think you'll get from Guy a new appreciation for the complexity of robotics and having Ginny able to differentiate one green plant from another green plant. It's about site-specific weed control for the ginger industry and it's hoping to, I guess, take away some of that manual sort of repetitive nature of weed control and use cameras and machine learning and detection of weeds to then target the weeds using some sort of delivery system working out ways of identifying weeds and ginger using machine learning and then connecting that to a system that will move a, a spray nozzle or even some alternative techniques such as hot water or lasers, steaming, anything you can mount on the end of the system and then control those weeds in a much more user-friendly way, I guess, <laughs> without all that uh, manual labour. Let's go back a little bit. What's machine learning? Uh, so machine learning is basically where you, you teach a computer to recognise or learn a pattern in something it's basically glorified pattern recognition. So well, it's something that humans are really good at. So we'll, we'll look at a field or something and we'll see 
we might see some variation in, in the field and, and recognise that could be potentially a weed without ever, ever having actually seen a weed or that crop, but we'll look for that difference. And so what machine learning does is effectively translates that to a computer. So we give it a heap of images of ginger and the different weeds that are present in ginger. So a bit of south thistle, barnyard grass, uh, nut sedge is another big one. And then it learns those differences between the crop and the weed or the similarities within each weed. So it can then tell you where or it has found that weed in the future. So it's a good way of identifying weeds in, in difficult and sort of variable scenarios. So how does it do that? You, you just feed it a whole heap of different photographs, do you? Yeah. So part of this project is, is developing that data set. So that's really a, the fundamental part of machine learning is, is having a data set that has all these different weeds and the crop in different sort of growth stages and different when it looks different, I guess, under stress or uh, those sorts of things. And you feed it images of all those, that, that variability and that diversity, and then it starts to learn and can predict within those sort of training data sets whether that new green bit of plant it's seeing is ginger or if it's in fact a bit of summer grass or something else. So yeah, the, the fundamental component of that is labeling, which is also which is quite manual, labeling each of those weeds and uh, ginger as ginger or weeds. It's a bit of a slow process, that part of it, the labeling and the, the training, but it's very, very valuable because it can then differentiate between those two types of whatever you tell it to, I guess. Not always perfect. <laughs> it's often not very perfect, but that's uh, part of the process. So are we talking about just a, like a few dozen photographs of a particular weed or uh, they go into the hundreds or even thousands? Yeah, very much in the thousands. <laughs> so it's, it, is, it depends how you look at it for different scenarios, but the, the methods we use, what's called deep learning, which is sort of machine learning, but at many different layers and much more complexity, I guess, in the algorithm behind it. But those sorts of algorithms need thousands and hundreds of thousands, millions of images. And while agriculture is difficult to get that sort of size of data, it, yeah, we're hopefully to get, trying to get those thousands of images to train the algorithm. So at this stage, we've collected about 20-odd thousand images, I think, of over ginger crops. Like, that should hopefully be enough for the first stage of this anyway. When you talk about labelling the, the photos, what do you actually mean by that? Why is that a problem? So labelling is effectively providing what we can understand an image to be to the computer. Computer vision is all about deriving meaning from an image. So when you look at um, even in a crop, you'll instantly understand that there are certain sort of objects in front of you, where those objects interact with our environment, sort of where the edges of those objects are. The labelling part of that is trying to translate our pretty amazing awareness of our surroundings to a computer-readable format. What it really means is, is drawing boxes around weeds so you can identify within a box where that weed is. Or for this ginger project, which sort of requires a little bit more precision with where the weed is located because we don't want to damage the, the ginger crop at all, is on a pixel-wise basis. So it, it's effectively drawing a line around an object. So in this case, it's a weed around each of the individual leaves. And so that every pixel that's a leaf of a weed is classified as a weed or different type of weed, depending on how you do it. And every ginger pixel is classified as a, a ginger pixel. And so then you give that to an algorithm that goes through those images that have, say, all the ginger pixels classified as ginger and weed pixels classified as weeds. And it will compare all those pixels and the different shapes and all that sort of thing. And then once it's sort of learnt on that data set, which could be hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of images, hopefully about a thousand or two in this project, then we'll be able to learn those patterns and differences that uh, us as humans do automatically every day 
millions of times, probably a second. So it's trying to make our understanding of an environment and translate that into a computer-readable scenario. I suppose this gets into AI a little bit, artificial intelligence. Is it possible for the computer that you're working on to identify new weeds as weeds? Potentially. It depends how we design or train the system. So there are opportunities to train it really well for ginger. And so at the moment, on the first sort of data sets we've been doing, it's been about 90% accurate on ginger on a pixel-wise basis. So if you overlaid the ginger and the training images, it's about 90% roughly. So you can do well on ginger, and then it might classify anything else that isn't ginger, but is also green as a weed. So that way you could potentially generalize to other weeds. But that is probably one of the drawbacks of deep learning, so the methods we're using, which is artificial intelligence is that it sometimes does struggle to go into brand new weeds that look completely different <laughs> to, to what it's seen before. So far, we've seen it's performed okay on relatively new weeds, I guess. So I'm talking about maybe a ryegrass versus a Johnson grass, that sort of similarity where they're both grass weeds. And that's, I guess, because we've been grouping grasses together. So we're saying all grasses are this sort of group and all broadleaf weeds roughly are this group. So then it the variability within those groups could potentially catch other grasses that it hasn't seen before. So with all these sorts of things, there's lots of different trade-offs and it's very much a new field of research. So it's not much has been done before. There's a few bit of research on row crops, but nothing that I've come across on ginger. So it's all, all quite new. And as you say, the issue is to make that accuracy for the uh, computer to recognise that it is ginger and not something else. That's the most important thing, I suppose. Yeah, exactly right. So that's sort of been our guiding principle is that there's no acceptance of false positives, I guess. So we can't accidentally get the ginger to any high degree because the ginger is such a, a valuable crop that it's not worth sort of taking out 5 or 10% of it if you're trying to get the weeds instead. So we're making sure that the algorithm is very good at detecting ginger and probably more likely to head towards the false negative path in terms of weed detection. So we might misclassify a weed as a crop instead. So that's probably a better option in this scenario than, say, classifying the, the ginger as a weed. And probably goes back to the, the different types of crops. So in broadacre production systems, so grain crops, you could possibly get away with more false positives. So you could potentially classify the crop as a weed because the crop per unit area that you're controlling is, is potentially worth a lot less than the ginger crops in these scenarios. So in agriculture, that does shift around a little bit, that the false positives might be more favourable in some circumstances because the, the consequences of a resistant weed escaping are probably much worse than the cost of spraying out that crop. And that's, I think, some interesting area of research that really non has looked at is that shift between crops and, and which ones are more suited to false negatives and which ones are more suited to, to false positives. Now, you've also been applying this technology to uh, other row crops. You've been at it at this for some time, Guy. Has that helped with the Ginger Project? We've been working in GRDC crops, more grain cropping systems, while the principles are similar, the end result, I guess, is a little bit different. So ginger, you can be a bit slower and because there are smaller field sizes and also a bit more methodical in how you deliver that weed control. But the principles of detecting weeds and using machine learning and then applying some form of site-specific control, that those principles, I guess, are consistent. And so having that background, I think, in site-specific weed management and alternative forms of controls has definitely helped us with this project and making sure we understand that, that whole pipeline of yeah, data collection, training, site-specific control, and also making sure it fits with agronomy, which is really important. It actually is, <laughs> solves a problem that, that farmers have. 
Exactly, yes. So that's, uh, I suppose, the detection side of things. And what are you doing in terms of the control side of the equation? Yeah, once the Wii's detected, we can then sort of translate that image to like the real world, I guess. So if the robot starts to know where underneath its platform the weed is. And what we've done is used a what I guess looks like a, a gantry type system. So it's got three different axes. One moves sort of forward, back, one's left, right, and the third axis is up and down. And so what that does is once it knows where the weed is, it can move to that weed and then move down. So Z axis then moves down to the ground and has a couple of nozzles down the bottom there that can then spray and effectively control that weed. And so it's that combination, I guess, of those three axes that give us the ability to move across the ginger and then also down through the canopy. That was probably one of the other challenges. There are quite a few weed detection robots and weed control robots out there, but ginger is a little bit more tricky because it's quite a tall crop. So even when you're trying to control the weeds at, say, three or four months in, the crop might be up to your set of knees or even waist in some circumstances. And so having a very low robot wouldn't really get through the crop very well. So having this sort of third axis that can move up and down in between the ginger rows it makes it a bit more effective, I guess, at targeting those weeds down within the rows that are still causing the issue. So just describe me how, how it works. You've got a very tall ginger crop, but you might have a weed that's lower than that crop. Is it going to be able to see that weed that's quite short, I suppose, compared to the ginger crop? As long as the camera has a direct line of, I guess, it's not occluded by a leaf or anything, then and the algorithm detects it accurately, then it should be able to detect that weed. Yeah, I guess that's, that's the key part of it. The platform itself, I guess, the plan at the moment is to have it a three-point linkage platform be mounted to existing high clearance tractors that the, the industry uses already for some forms of pest control in, in, in crop. The three-point linkage mount would have this square sort of rectangular-looking gantry system that sits out behind it, and, and on that is a, is a camera that does the weed detection. And so if that, as long as that weed's visible, I guess, to the camera, then it can move that gantry left or right or up or down and, and back and forwards to move uh, directly to that weed. How quick is it? How fast are you able to move over the ground? In the lab conditions, I guess it was moving... For each weed, it was probably five to, ten, five to ten seconds per weed, I guess, to move from the previous one to the next potentially even faster once we get a better power supply set up. So it's, yeah, nothing fixed in yet. And we haven't seen quite the top speed of it, I don't think. Uh, so it's something we're still working on, but it needs to be quick so that you can move over lots of weeds in an efficient period of time. Is it limited to applying chemical or are there other control methods that you're looking at as well? So the, the exciting thing about this platform is that once you detect the weed and once you can move to it quickly and effectively, you can put anything on the end of this Z-axis, the one that moves down to the weed, at the moment, we do have spray nozzles, but potentially it could be anything that can be mounted to that Z-axis. So like it could be a bit of hot water or it could be steam, it could be flame even. And, and that, I guess that's also a third part of this project is looking just briefly at some of the alternative methods out there and if they have a good fit for autonomous delivery, so sort of site-specific delivery like we're discussing, and also for the ginger crops as well. That combination, I guess, is an exciting opportunity for the industry to move away from reliance on, on herbicides or manual pulling. What is that research showing you? Have you? Is there anything that's particularly outstanding at this stage? We're probably just about to launch into that. So this is the second season we've been doing the project, so there's still one more after this. The next year and a half, 18 months on the project, we'll be moving towards the alternative methods. The first, I guess, was, was mainly focused on detection, and the last sort of six months has been that delivery system 
But as we go over the summer period, we'll move into that alternative techniques. So that's an exciting part of the project. Yeah, it does sound like there's still a lot more to go with the project and you're, you're only part way into it, as you say. What are you looking for? What are your aims and ambitions in terms of seeing this being widely used in paddocks, in ginger paddocks? With this project, it's it's about looking at reducing that, re- that labour component, so giving them the ability to expand beyond where they uh, currently are limited to, so providing them opportunities to move into larger areas or produce more ginger potentially with the same or uh, amount of labour. So it's giving them opportunities to expand and grow more ginger, reducing that, that impact of weeds on yield. Yeah, it's, it's exciting, I think, for the growers. And hopefully this we can deliver that over the next sort of 18 months for them. That's a pretty good time frame. It's not too far into the future. Quite often these things, uh, you know, they, they tend to be on the never-never, don't they? But over the next 18 months or two years, that's something to look forward to in, in the relative short term. Yeah, yeah, we hope it's nothing, nothing's always set in stone, but I think the progress I've made to date is promising. So yeah, over the next 18 months, as we refine the approach and I guess make sure it speeds up and detect ginger and weeds in a range of conditions, then hopefully over the yeah, next 18 months, it'll be something that the growers can use for their the next crop. I won't hold you to the 18 months, Sky. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> I'm sure he'll meet his deadline. That was Guy Coleman, a precision weed control scientist working out of the University of Sydney's facility at Camden, southwest of Sydney. My name is Chris Brown. Coming up on future episodes of AgriFutures On Air, we'll find out about the research that's aiming to make horse racing safer for those beautiful animals. Another great story about dedication, both equine and human. And speaking of dedication, I'll have the absolute pleasure of speaking to more winners of the AgriFutures Rural Women's Award. Stories over coming weeks about women doing some amazing things in their communities. So keep listening and your feedback is always welcome. You've been listening to AgriFutures On Air, a weekly podcast brought to you by AgriFutures Australia.